You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And today, you all thought would be the official start of trade season. When I talk about that, I'm going to put that off to Wednesday. Instead, today, for me, talking is the 16th, for you the 17th, is the one-year anniversary of the biggest trade of Kevin Pritchard's time running this team. No. One of the biggest trades. One of the biggest trades in the franchise's history, given the the impact the player had before being traded. Victor Oladipo out, Levert, and two seconds in. I want to review the year that has been since that deal, if the Pacers should do it, how Vic's played, how Karras has played, how all the parties involved have either thrived or failed since then. And joining me to do that, you've heard his voice on this show so many times, former Indy Corners writer extraordinaire, Mr. Adam Friedman. How's it going? Going well. You overlooked the uh, the trade of PG for Oladipo and Sabonis. That's the biggest trade. That's that that if they yeah. don't make that trade, he doesn't have a job three years that later. That is the biggest trade. I don't know why I consider that pre Pritchard era because it was the first was, thing he did. Yeah, I mean, it, that was like so that the was, like if he doesn't make that trade to like kind of be decent for what the next three seasons, he barely doesn't have a job at this point. Like that trade set him up. This job, this other trade was the second most important trade. So you're not like that far off. That's fair. I did forget when I said that. So, yes, a year ago today, it was announced. I mean, it really was in limbo for four days. It started the 13th of January, whatever. It became official one year ago today. Pacers got Lavert and Cash, who cares, and a second from Houston and a second from Cleveland for Vic. And last year was weird for this team, right? They were playing pretty good at the time, but I mean, we both kind of had talked about it all offseason. Like, how do, you, how do you move on from Vic? Like, our fake trade was Vic for Chris Paul and... That never materialized, obviously, but you know, he played pretty well in those first 10 or so games he played for the Pacers that season, and then nine games to be exact, and then they decided to deal him, and everybody got why. You know, he had a foot out the door the whole time. He ended up in his preferred destination anyway. The Pacers had liked Levert since the draft. It was a pretty good swing in general, but now it's been a year, Adam. Do you, feel, do you still feel the same way about the trade now as you did when it happened? I mean, I think it was the right move. You traded a what ended up being a non-asset for an asset, right? So, like, if you're just looking at in, in that lens, right, you're not looking at it, the lens of Vic was an all-star, an all-NBA player, but as the fact when he reached the point, what, last year, he was a distressed asset that was making $21 million a year that nobody really wanted to trade for. And so, basically, you hopped in a trade that somehow the Rockets didn't want Levert, I guess, and you gave him a, you gave him a depot for Levert, so you turned an asset into, a, into something, right? Levert might not be, like, the best asset, but he is probably worth something on the open market versus Oladipo at this point was traded last for Kelly Olenek and I forget somebody else. Right. And yes. then, and then he got hurt again. So like Oladipo literally is like not worth anything at this point. He might get back there. We should say that, but Levert is worth something. So in a vacuum, the trade works because you win it. You win from going from zero to one, let's say in terms of value. Yeah, so the Heat got Depot for well, I believe it was Olenek and Avery Bradley. Yeah, okay, right. I couldn't. And, I know Olenek was the key, and a draft, a second round draft pick swap. Oh, okay, so three, that. three strong assets there. Crucially for- important asset. Yeah, they let Olenek and Avery Bradley walk for nothing three months later. So. Houston, I mean, I, I guess Houston wanted to rebuild, not have any money, right? That was their goal, and they accomplished that. But like, they basically took on Oladipo, and then 
they could have taken the vert for basically nothing and could have had like something where they decided to do this whole thing and they look like got nothing out of it because i think a linux off the roster Avery bradley is in the second round pick is not worth what yeah, Le- they traded harden for like nothing basically a bunch of late first rounders from the nets anyways lavert would not help them in their situation i feel like so like i get why they didn't want him yeah, but it's an asset but- but I think, he, yeah, if they planned on trading Vic anyway, I think that's why they did it, is they thought maybe they could still be good with Vic and Wall. Well, I think they were trying to sell their fan base that we're not rebuilding, right? We're, oh, we're going to get, we're trading an all-NBA player for an all-NBA player, right? That was the, yeah. the thought, but obviously that was not true. They were trading. James Harden isn't good this year, but James Harden is still right now a top, I don't know what you call 40-50 player, even in, in his out-of-shape format. Um, but from a, yeah. from a Pacers perspective, I would say that, I, I still right now think they definitely made the right trade. Like Vic was killing it right at the start of the year last year. Killing it's a bit extreme, but like he was still at he was good. 20, 20 points, I think, in his like four or five games. He 20 played. points a game guy, league average from three, six boards, four assists. Not the defender he was before the injury, obviously, but still good. Right. So they kind of got lucky that he was that guy for those nine games. And they were able to do this because he was he wasn't bad with Houston by any means, but he was definitely worse. Like got down to 40 percent shooting, 37 percent with Miami later in the season. His three ball went away. His playmaking fluctuated. Right. Like the Pacers did get kind of lucky that they got to strike while the iron was hot pretty early in the season. So compared to what I thought of the trade right away, where it's like, OK, you know, Lavert's good and all these Nets people are really bummed he's he's leaving because he's good and they'll, and they'll miss him. Obviously, they are happy with James Harden. But and then the two seconds is nice. They get the extra one for the the kidney mass discovery, which is, you know, a thing we'll talk about later. But, yeah, you know, I think that I still would say, yeah, that was a good trade. But I think of it less now than I did then, because I thought at the time Lavert would be a little better fit with what they had. And they've had injuries that have made him do various roles in his time here and he had the back problems that kept him out for much of this season so like yeah okay there's a reason he hasn't been as good as he was even when he started here with the nets but you know i think i'd grade it a little lower because he's been a little worse but i still think i agree with you that even a year later given especially vic's trajectory but even if he had continued on the same path because he was expiring they kind of had to do that at some yeah point. well that's the thing so there's an argument you could make that vic would have been better with the Pacers because he was in a better situation. And, and he, even like he just fit with the roster they had. They had built a roster kind of around him a couple years before, but building towards it. Like they had a roster that kind of should have melded with him correctly, right? So like he was going to be in a spot where he could shoot pretty well because he maybe wasn't the focus on defense all the time, where he wasn't having to constantly shoot the ball. I don't know, I don't know how much I took in Houston, but I'm sure it was close to 20 versus probably like closer to 13 would have been his number in, in Indiana. But the problem with that is if he ends up having a decent season, he's out the door anyways because he was clearly signs that he wanted to go to Miami or somewhere else. So you're kind of stuck in this hard place that where it's like, okay, we can keep him and build up his value, but then he's going to leave us anyways, or we can trade him at kind of like this mini boosted value. And then he became what he, you know, we thought he might be anyways on the worst case scenario. So I think that the trade makes sense. It's just that the other side of it is Levert just isn't really a fit for this team. And so they got to figure out how to then turn this trade into another trade ultimately, or some move because it's just not right right now. It's not working. I mean, if you look at the, so if you do since the trade, the team is 41 and 60 Uh, since Levert played his first game, the team is 32 and 46. Right. So they're basically basically one game under 500 when he played last year. And this year, obviously, they're nowhere near 500. They're garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, I didn't want to say it, but yeah. Well, and so when I did the halfway point podcast with James Boy from the Indy Star, that was our one of our big takeaways is like, they, these guys just don't fit. Like, you can look at even going back last season without take Warren out, whatever. He only played three games. 
the other four starters that like we expect to be the starters together, they still are like 13 and 20 something. Like it's not good. So they don't fit. And Levert is, is a factor there. I think, and I'll talk about Levert a little more and Depot, honestly, but like, even in retrospect, like like what's the the way that if the Pacers hadn't traded Vic, the best case scenario for them is like he's awesome for them and they make the playoffs. Like he wasn't gonna stay. Like he just yeah. wasn't, right? There's no like the best case scenario in in Magic NBA land is like Vic's awesome for them last year under Bjorkren and they make the playoffs and they do okay and then he resigns. Like, yeah, that would be better than what is going on right now. But under the guise of he's going to leave for sure, even if they didn't trade him and he stayed the rest of the season and was good and got them more results, they would have lost him for nothing this summer anyway. So even in the best case scenario of not doing the move they did, I would I would prefer that they have done what they did in terms of like making the asset play. So sure, I don't know what other offers were out there for Depot, so I can't grade the trade compared to stuff I don't know exists. But compared to doing nothing, even now with all these fit issues and stuff, they have more... They have two seconds to, to retool if they want to do that. They've got Levert to move on from if they want to do that. They can even keep him and try to put better stuff around him. You know, he was good last year. He's not been as good this year. Right? They, they have those options that they wouldn't have had before the deal. So even in the best case scenario of not trading Vic, I think they made the right choice. But it's it's certainly, you know, you you bring up that record. It's like it, it, it didn't work, but it also was the right cho- play. It's kind of strange. What, so you can... Tell me if I'm wrong because I don't quite remember. But wasn't on the table at one point like a Turner Oladipo for Hayward in that in November of twenty, right? My, right? Wasn't that oh, like sort Hayward of what they, before he went to Charlotte? Yeah, isn't that what the Boston wanted theoretically? Yes. Right. So I'm I'm thinking you might you made a case that that should have been the move, right? You then you could have paid Hayward the thirty million that he got paid for in Charlotte. I think he would have taken thirty here. I think that was the issue was he couldn't get the numbers quite as high. Uh, you That's probably, funny because at the time we were both like, no, I would never do that. But if we knew Vic would tail off, you know, you'd be like, yeah, maybe you should. Yeah, well, we were thinking Hayward at the time was four for one ten. I think was sort of how you put right, it. Not if four you added or whatever it was, yeah, yeah, if you did McDermott Turner, that got you to that number basically. Right. So, but I think in hindsight, that might have been the better move was just to that's make the, call. to put Oladipo because that's what Boston said. I mean, we thought it was unreasonable, right? They wanted basically they wanted. Turner, McDermott, and then another asset on top of that, or they wanted like Warren or something. You know, did the classic Boston thing and asked something insane, and they get screwed <laughs> at the end of it because they don't, they can't resign the player, right? They're just cl- classic Boston there. Um, but that might have been the right move because Hayward seems like he's probably of Levert Oladipo. Him, he's the best player now. He's on a bigger contract than everybody else. He's expensive. He's older. It could tail off in the last couple years of the deal. Don't get me wrong, but he's probably the best of, or he is the best of those three players. Adam, are you sure Boston messed that up? I mean, all they have to show for it right now is Josh Richardson. I mean, that that seems. What would <laughs> you could, rather have, Josh Richardson or a bunch of stuff? Well, remember Boston? they got Tristan Thompson. and He was like better than Turner. Like that was a you know he was they got him for like what five million. He's just I forgot about Turner. that. That was the everybody big said he was better than Miles for that team. That was well, I don't know better, but like well, he's so much cheaper and he's just he's, he's just as good as Turner. You know, by you know easily. <laughs> Outrageous time. Yeah, they use that. They get a trade exception that they use to get Fournier, and then he leaves. So they use that trade exception to get Josh Richardson. Just and then extend him for it's like wait so yeah the the trail of transactions there got lost in the sauce but it boston did not, it, boston i mean we could talk about bad trades boston just completely over like played its hand for almost every yep. trade in the last 100%. five years at least well in credit hayward like he could help them out and he's just like no I'm, I'm not waiting for you guys this is stupid like i can get 120 yeah. million right now stop well, he's on a team that's fun i mean he's kind of the veteran yeah. on, a, on a young fun team I and mean, it's gonna work out for him as long as he can stay healthy and he's kind right. of been iffy there but yeah so let's talk more about lavert and depot and every party really uh but first adam i want to talk about the good folks over at shopify cha-ching it's another sound of a sale on shopify the all-in-one commerce p- platform 
to start, run, and grow your business. They give entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big businesses. So upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. It's easier to scale your business using Shopify. It's really fantastic for small businesses and even, you know, like yours or mine or whatever, Shopify can power millions of businesses from first sale to full scale, reach customers online and across social networks and gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins and beyond. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. Go to shopify.com slash locked on MBA, all lowercase for a free 14 day trial and get access to Shopify's full suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash locked on MBA right now. Shopify.com slash locked on MBA. So the the big pull in for Depot, Adam, was obviously Levert, right? The, the second round picks, whatever they got the extra one because uh, they're worth nothing. I mean, happen. you you have a higher value or of them than I do, but I always think second round picks are like are like having you know pennies basically. Well, you know what's funny is in retrospect, like back then I was like, oh, one's from the Cavs, like that could be good, and now the Cavs are great, and now it's not even going to be good. Mid forties, so, at least. Yeah, mid forties, not something. I mean, the the value I place on them is like cap dumps and getting yeah, the, yeah, that if you need it kind of stuff. But yeah, in the Pacer situation, they are more useless. Then and their own second has more value than both of these. Um so it's actually kind of good they lost their second to Brooklyn last year because they're gonna get a much yeah. better second this year. For anyway, real. they Levert's on the team now, regardless of the trader or not. And I think we we kind of dabbled on this in the first segment, but is he met the expectations you thought he would reach when they acquired him? Big picture. See, so the I felt the Levert thing was you had an expectation, then he was out for eight weeks, right? Give or take, I, remember, I think it was yeah. eight weeks. Eight weeks, and it was like, okay, now he's going to play himself back into shape. We've never seen him with TJ Warren, so we never really knew how that was going to work. Um, and so it's just kind of like, <laughs> no, we still have it. We, we didn't see him last year, we still have it, and I'm not sure we're going to – we honestly might not see it this year either, it sounds like. Uh, who knows, frankly. Um, but so it's like he he's been – I think the player that we thought he would be in terms of like he can score a little bit, he can do a little bit, but he's not like I think when he was filling Oladipo's shoes, you thought could he be eighty percent of that of, of Pico Oladipo? I mean, and he's really not. I mean, he is maybe like sixty percent. I mean, Pico Oladipo was just a you know a player we just haven't seen. You know, they've seen two of them probably in the last two two decades, frankly. You know, going back to probably like the O four teams, they've only had two all NBA type players, um, and so like I mean, I think he kind of has because you. I think you should have not, you know, maybe I had too high of expectations. It's always a problem, but I think he's been fine. It's just that there's been so much issues with coaching before this, before this season. And then there's just the fit and just everything has just been kind of, eh. and I don't know if it's all him. I mean, the two center thing kind of works, but also doesn't work for him. And it just sort of, it's become sort of a mess that he's a part of, but he's maybe not like the contributing factor, but he's just a piece of it. Yeah. Lavert is really hard to analyze right now. Okay, so no, it's not. We watch him every day. We can talk about how he plays, but like, let's zoom out for a second. This guy yeah. missed eight weeks last year with cancer. You know, how many other players in the NBA can you say that about? None, right? Like, it's hard to know how much impact that has on you. Like, he was doing an interview or he was talking to Scott Agnes after their game on Friday against Phoenix, and it's like he sees scars on his body every day. You know what I mean? Like, from surgery, how many other players can say that? That's a unique thing that makes it hard for me to understand how that changed the way he is as a player. Two, he's played for four coaches since the start of 2019, right? Two for the Nets, then he's traded, so it's Bjorkren and then Carlisle, right? Like that, that's a lot of changing demands and requests. He did that public thing talking about Bjorkren being like, yep, you're playing tonight. And he's like, huh? You know, like, I don't know how perfect that relationship was either. So as he's evolved as a player and gotten better, his stasis has com- completely changed over and over and over again. So it's hard to really evaluate like, 
how is he getting better or worse? How is his situation getting better or worse for him? Stuff like that. That said, you know, I the biggest gap that for me with him is I thought he'd be a much better defender than this. I thought oh. he could be at least decent on defense. You know, he was it wasn't like great for the Nets or anything, but I thought he was like average, I guess, as a defender for them when I would tune into the Nets and that Nets team tried really hard for for years. And even if you go off advanced stats, like his defensive box plus minus was positive his first three years in the league. And with the Pacers, it's been negative. And it's almost negative one this year, right? Like it keeps getting worse. So I thought his defense was better than it was. That's in the biggest gap. And then you know, he, when he was in a passing role last year, he was pretty solid, but in general, his finishing is pretty inconsistent. And since he doesn't have the ball as much when Brogdon plays or when they have everybody healthy, it's just, he can't pick it. He's not that great at picking his spot. So you combine that with his defense and he just hasn't been the guy that I thought he would be coming from Brooklyn. Some of that's because of the role he's had here. Some of that's because the injuries he's had, but uh, he has been, I think, um, below the expectation that I thought he would give the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, you look at his like raw numbers. He's basically the same player. I mean, he's a little bit worse from three-point, but shooting percentage-wise, points per game, I mean, it's all within a range, right? 17 to close. 20, 40, what, 43 to 44% from the field, 31 to 30. I mean, he had, a, I guess he had a, like a kind of a spike here in 2019-20 from three, but usually it's between 31 and 34%, right? It's all kind of been the same. Um, I do think the issue with the Pacers versus the Nets is – uh, on those Nets teams, he was on those what Russell teams and those kind of like scrappy young teams. He also wasn't starting all the time. I think it was kind of half and half. And so, like, I think Levert's like best role is probably like your bench leader. But it comes to the Pacers, they don't have Warren. You know, they've got injury turmoil, whatever. The last really whole last two seasons, frankly, um, especially this year with COVID and stuff. And so he has to be sort of the offensive player, right? He kind of has stepped in, kind of come that, and he's not. He's not good at that, right? He'd be a much better kind of smaller role in smaller minutes player where he could be really good in those, I could say, 25 minutes, especially leading the bench unit. Whereas a starter, he just isn't up to the level of some of the better shooting guards and really small forwards in the league. I think, yeah, I agree with that. And I think I agree with that now. I didn't used to. But no, I think, I think that, we thought he could get to – like we thought, oh, this is like the growth, right? He'll, yeah. He was and then he'll grow into becoming this player. But he really kind of it's more leveled than grown. So I, I think right now, like if they had their whole team healthy, I I'm never gonna assume they will ever again. I'm just just pretend. Yeah, that's, for a that's like that's been the just pretend. I think the ideal thing would be they start him and then four minutes in, he's the first sub out with and Chris comes in or whoever they decide. Yeah, and then he is the the bench leader, like you said. And when you know when he was that point guard for the stretch a couple weeks ago when Brogdon was out and they hadn't signed Kiefer Sykes yet and Brad Wanamaker was just running around doing nothing out there. And then he delivered to be the point guard. He did a pretty good job, right? Like that clearly he's better at that than what he has to do with the starting five where his, you know, this year, the, the, this is part of the stats we didn't even say. His usage, I believe, is a career low this year. Uh, that is not true. I'm sorry. His lowest since 2019-20, though. His lowest in four years of usage. That was a mistake for me. But still a lower usage than he's used to, right? And given what he is where he needs to pound the ball and get to his spots and he's, you know, he's finishing a career high at the rim when he actually – decides to go all the way there and his passing was really good when he was in that point guard role like it's harder for him to be impactful especially because he's not shooting well this year when he's off the ball so it's just a kind of a fit thing right like that's part of why he hasn't met the expectations of that that i had which again it's not his fault necessarily because there's been some injury stuff going on and role changes going on but he can't shoot well enough to be off the ball as much and the pacers have too many other good players for him to be on the ball as much as he needs to be so it's just not quite the right fit for him to be the valuable guy they thought they were getting 
Yeah, and I think with the the kind of pull at four minutes problem is that they want to do it with the center, so it's hard to do it with the guard, right? They don't usually with like a starting lineup. You only you want to keep at least four of them kind of in for long possible, right? Like you've seen teams, especially the teams yep. that are really good that have like two superstars, right? You take like a Durant and Westbrook or Harden and Westbrook, they would stagger them or Paul and, and Harden, for example, kind of thing. But you, it's really hard to pull two players out of the starting lineup and switch two in, right? And so they already have to stagger with the centers to make the, that at work. That it really hard to do with the guard. So it's just some yeah. of that is that he just like it's just a kind of not I mean it's just not a good roster around him and so he and he doesn't really make any better right he's not somebody who can kind of exceed exceed the circumstances he kind of has to fit into them and when the, everything else is kind of crumbling around him he's just kind of going to crumble with it a little bit yeah, and even even when he's at point guard, which I don't know if you agree now but I think we both think that's probably his best role now right something I mean I think there's like a He's probably hybrid-ish, right? I mean, I don't think he's yeah. a dominant guard all the time, but I think, yes, where he's leading the point, bringing the ball up a decent amount would would be better for him. The The problem with that is when he – so Brogdon loves playing point, which, like, he's better at than Levert. They're both That's kind fine. of the same player, right? They kind of both have – you don't want them all the time, but maybe 40% right. kind of thing. But the, when Levert's playing point, usually that means Brogdon's not in the game because Brogdon likes to be point. So then the other problem this year is what's the ideal situation for Levert, the ball handler, right? It's Sabonis setting screens and then as much space as you can get on the court. They're the third worst, fourth worst three-point shooting team this year, right? So, like, they can't spread it out as much. So we see in the clutch, especially, like, if you remember the Chicago game when DeRozan hit the insane one-legged game winner, Levert, they they kept calling his number in these pick and rolls down the stretch, and the Bulls were like, okay, we're just going to send four guys to the ball because no one else can hit a three in your lineup. And it doesn't matter if he passes, you're not going to score. And it worked. He turned it over twice and missed a shot. And bada bing, bada boom, the Bulls win. Like, that's enough. That, that is not necessarily his fault on the fit thing. They just don't have the right tools, to, even when he is in the right situation, to make him as good as possible. So, is Levert good? Yeah. Is Levert the right fit for the Pacers after this trade? No. But does he still have value? Yes. That's the summation, I think, of our bullet points here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, are you getting to the point where maybe McDermott was the biggest benefit? Or- Let's see, Levert was the biggest benefactor of McDermott, like because you know that yes. kind of spacing and stuff. I mean, remember too. I mean, we're talking about Justin Holiday, who for at least a little while looked like he was like I don't know the second coming up to McDermott at one point. And now he's kind of an average. I mean, he's a little bit average, but like kind of come back to earth from his forty what two percent season he had two years ago. Like there's some of that, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I just don't think it's I don't think it's all on him. It's not like he's the reason the Pacers are bad. Right? No, definitely like, not. You can't be like he is the one reason this team is falling apart. It's just that. He, he's not he's just not good enough to like break out of this kind of like team that's sort of just not very good this is this is kind of a good, an interesting philosophical question though when a guy doesn't fit with the roster is it his fault or is it the roster's fault well so he's not but he's not like supposed to be the the number one guy so it's not true so it's probably he came in after the rest of the team so i would say not his fault not yeah his fault. i mean so right wait they built this roster we could say it around oladipo ultimately right i mean even oh, for with sure. him hurt for it was sure. kind of built to fit around him i mean i think they probably should have flipped one of the centers at one point still earlier but whatever but that was the idea right no they had, like they brought in brogdon to kind of help kind of play off ball Oladipo occasionally and be point guard sometimes they had warren who provides like offensive spark and then the sabonis and and oladipo together are legendary you know at, at their best and Levert is not the same player as Oladipo. He's not the like, at least the like, I'm going to just go to the rim, put my head down, pick and roll, and then I'm going to shoot a bunch of pop-up threes basically and play hard on defense. Like he's just not that player. He's a totally different player. And then the roster doesn't fit with that. It was just a, it was kind of a bad fit. But like you said, I'm not sure there's a better move. Like what are you going to do? Trade Oladipo for like Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley? Like that's, that's <laughs> worse. That is worse. That is act- actively worse than the Harris Levert. So the trade... You got to do what you got to do to at least like keep an asset at some point. 
They got Brogdon, and they were like, oh, yeah, this guy fits great with Vic. And he does, right? They would have been an awesome defensive backcourt. And they were when they played together for whatever that ended up being. Well, like playing third, off each other, too, in the couple of that Lakers game in the bubble where they played off each other really well for most of yeah. the time. Like, that's what would have been nice. What, they could both kind of toggle off and on. And they, they had Vic playing too much off balls. So when Brogdon came in, that fit a lot better. And then the other thing was, like, Vic could guard the other team's best guard, and Brogdon wouldn't have to do the best guard thing. And that was good. And now with Karras, it's like, okay, Brogdon, your defensive matchup's harder. Your fit starts with your guard. Like, just it's just not as good. Let's talk about Vic a little bit and Karras' future after we take a short little break to talk about two wonderful groups of people. First up, the good folks over at Bill Bar. It's the new year, which means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fitter, eating healthier, include Bill Bar in your plan. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar or, in my opinion, even better than a candy bar. They make it easy to stick to your resolution because they are super delicious and super healthy. A great substitute for either a snack or a meal. They're only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, only four net carbs, but 17 grams of protein, 100% covered in chocolate, and actually delicious, unlike so many other flavors of protein bars. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your order of Built Bars. That promo code, again, is LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Com. Let's also talk about betonline.ag, who would like to wish you a happy betting new year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond football playoffs going crazy this weekend. Love seeing the Bengals winning there for the first time since I was not even alive was their last postseason. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year, new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On when you get started, and you'll get that 50% welcome bonus. They got football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Thank you all for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every day. Big month coming up for the Pacers with trade deadline in less than a month now every player in the league can be traded except for a few who got extended it's gonna be a lot to cover with this team in the coming weeks but for now we're gonna finish up talking about the carousel bird trade and i want to talk about depot specifically because there was a time with the rockets where he looked pretty damn good and then he totally fell off and then he was terrible with miami and now he's been hurt and it's really hard to assess what he is now or what he can be going forward i don't know how you feel about the player he is right now adam this is the last time we saw him play. I'm trying to now. I was like late <laughs> last year, right? Time, yeah. April last Very year. Time, yeah. Right. We yeah, blew out his knee in like the end of, right? End of April, May. I'm trying to remember the month exactly. I don't his know. injury in 2021 was uh, April or yeah, April 8th was the okay. last time he tweeted that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we sort of with him, we, we, you could have seen this coming once his kind of athletic, like if you looked at him in the long run, right? He was always a kind of guy who liked to pull up and shoot his three a lot and like to kind of be over shoot his three. But he could make up for it because he was so good defensively and get to the rim enough. And he could shoot just enough from three where it would be like, okay, it's worth him taking that. But you figure once his athleticism started to wane, he just relied on that three-point shot. And he just wasn't like a knockdown enough three-point shooter to rely on that. And that's kind of what he sort of was becoming, I think. Even with the Pacers, you kind of saw that for a little bit. I mean, he shot with him three, so it looked okay. But then the Rockets, when it started to fall off, it's because the three-point shot fell off. So, I mean, I, I don't really know how he reinvents himself. I mean – I will say he has a pretty good like looking jumper, so like he could shoot better from it, right? It's not like he has this like weird hit shot or doesn't like you know looks bad. Like he can quick release, get the ball up, and so that should help if he kind of can play off the ball with Butler and Bam and stuff like that in Miami. But um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of. I kind of think we basically saw that one best gear of him, and that was that's going to be the last time we see him even close to that ever again. Yeah, guys who have crazy knee injuries. 
Like I tend to think they come back with a lot better shooting form, which sometimes can help them. And he shot well that nine, it was only nine games, but he shot well in that sample in 2020, 21 before he got dealt. And like Jeremy Lamb shot 40% from three when he came back from his ACL thing, right? Like sometimes for guys, when the only motion they can do is arm stuff, they just really iron yeah. out their shot. So I think he'll still be a good shooter. And you're right. I agree. He's got good form, but he won't have that burst that made him so good. Like, even in year two with the Pacers before he got hurt, that was a little bit lacking because he was dealing with knee stuff that year. But, I mean, that first year with the Pacers, he, it doesn't matter who was guarding him. He could get all the way to the rim and finish like every single time. It was an Isaiah Thomas level year. Or the second Isaiah Thomas, not the first one. But the, Here's the Vic's Boston shooting from zero to three feet by season of his career. 55%, 57%, 57%, 61%, 69%. Yeah, so that that 18 year was insane. 60, 44, and I... This is confusing because he played for three different teams. It looks like 54. I don't know how that, whatever. Clearly that year, like he had it all. He, you know, he, he had that crazy workout stuff after he got dealt and was awesome for the Pacers. I don't think there's any way he's ever back to that good. You know, do you think he could ever even be the, do you think he could ever be the guy he was in the nine games he was for the Pacers last season before he got dealt? I mean, I think in the right situation where he is not the dominant defensive focus, he could be kind of, I don't know if he can score 20 points a game over nine games, but could be 15 points a game over nine games kind of thing. Um, it's just, it's going to be hard for him because what made him, like I said, we go back to that 69% from inside three feet. I mean, he was like amazing around the rim. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen a pacer player finish the rim that well, to be honest. Like PG wasn't even that good around the rim for most. Nope. He, I think he got better in late in his career. Has he gotten better recently? I haven't looked at the numbers really know he's got, but like he was afraid to do that. But Oliva was like fear. It was Russell Westbrook level kind of fearlessness to go to the rim that he had. And that's, and if you lot, if you lose that mentality, like you're afraid to go to the rim, it's kind of it. Like we've seen with Westbrook, he at least isn't afraid, right? He no longer is afraid to keep going to the rim constantly. And that's what's kind of, I think let him, cause he had injury problems too. He had meniscus tears and stuff like that, but he kind of kept his career a little longer in his peak going because he was just willing to continue to take contact. Where Oladipo, I think, is starting to – look like he was starting to shy away from that, and that's kind of it. Unless he can start making his three points out of 40%, uh, he's just yep. not going to – he's just never going to be even probably like 60% the player that he was that year. PG's career best at the rim is 67%. But that's late Clippers? or That, that, Clippers is, uh, or? that is the, the MVP level year with OKC when he proclaimed himself. Okay. But see, he, in Indiana, what was his peak in Indiana? Give me the number. He had 66% his rookie year, which is crazy because he never got though. close to that again. He got to 63 once. What was his shots percentage from inside three feet in those years? I mean, it was bad. I, I remember like there were discussions like, why does he go to the rim enough? He's the 6'9". Yeah, only, only one-fifth of his shots, basically. Right, right? and he was 6'9". and could basically beat anybody on the dribble. Like right. almost like, I mean, this he was it was all discussion about like why wasn't he going to the rim enough i mean it, the spacing wasn't great which was part of it but it still didn't make a lot of sense considering his size yeah that so i don't know if vic will ever be as good as he was i think he can help the heat and you know the rockets got their their benefits are gone unless this draft swap for them is awesome so it's hard to discuss the deal from their point the heat might end up being the winners because they have full bird on vic next offseason well, also so they do have nothing for him so nothing he has something they win basically if, if he's good for them this year and they're over the cab next year and they can sign whatever they want yeah they're the winners not even good just like can play like the seventh man role honestly yeah, yeah the value right. he's being paid this year that would be worth it so let's close up on the pacers side i get this i mean lavert's only got one and a half years left on his deal i mean the, they, the Pacers are like, who is just Bojan? Is that the only like really positive starter that in the KP era that's just run out their deal with this team? 
You mean like okay, so Carlson, Thad Young and Bojan did actually more than more more people than I thought. Never mind. Carlson I was going to say, do you, do you think there's any way Karras gets to the end of his deal without being uh, dealt? From no, I, I think it's I think the chances are below ten percent. I agree. So I think that this string of transactions is incomplete for the Pacers. Yeah. Like I think we could look back on the victory and go, okay, they actually got a year plus of Levert plus whatever they end up getting for him when if when whatever so, they decide to move on from him. The one positive thing is that it, it might have um, finally accelerated the we need to finally rebuild a little bit. Like I'm not saying full tank, but like we finally need to like actually discuss like what do we want out of this team in the next five years? How do we get to a point where we can get a, a top, let's call it even 25 player coming sponsors there? Like, you know what I mean? And that and that might be the benefit of the Oladipo trade. Where I think with Oladipo, yeah. there's always the care that, oh, well, if he just comes back and gets close to where he was, we're going to be good again. And it was always that kind of carrot out there. And now that's gone. And now it's like we see what this team is. It's, you know, we're, we're in the bad. fourth or fifth <laughs> iteration of it. And it's it's bad and it's doesn't fit. And there just needs to be like a pretty significant change. I mean, you've got to, you're going to get a good draft pick. Maybe you get the one pick if things go go right or a top three pick or whatever. And then you've got to figure out how you build around that. What assets you think are good right now. And then like Sabonis or Turner is one of those assets because they're still really young. And then go from there. I mean, that's what they, they have to do. And Levert at least accelerates that versus like leaving this right. kind of carrot out there that you can grab. Yeah, um, the, the Levert's kind of in a similar spot to Turner to me in that he's good, and I understand why they would be, maybe maybe be like, yeah, you know, we can fit some pieces around him, and he fits okay enough with Duarte, whatever. But he's in. The, well, I say he's in the Turner situation because they have one and a half years left on their deal, and that if you keep him past the deadline, their value goes way down immediately, right? Because I guess on draft night they have some value, but they yeah, I think they probably have value through this offseason still a little bit, right? I mean, still yeah, some it's not as high players to me, to me. Yeah, I mean they're they're decent players, right? Like, like it'd be different if they were just like bad players, and then you're trying to trade them. Like somebody's going to be like, well, if we get that guy and he's our fifth or fourth guy, we can make it work. I mean, I think nobody's going to be like, you know, trading real strong assets for him, but they could. I could see like what super late first or maybe a player swap of some kind that kind of makes works for both teams could. Could happen with any with either of those guys, frankly. That's why. That's why I think Karras, the move would would if you want to move on from him, or if you think that's going to be an option in the next thirteen months, you do it. You would like to do it now if you're them, because you'd get the most back, or at least have the least risk. Like he's not hurt right now, and stuff like that. So I would, I would definitely be thinking about it if I were them. I get why they wouldn't, but I mean, to me, he's the second or third most likely guy to get dealt just for that reason alone. Yeah, I mean, I think they're the obvious 15, move, 20, hey, what's the point of, you know, what's the yeah. point? Yeah, I think the obvious move is try to trade those guys for more shooting. I mean, if you're if you're not taking a draft pick because you decide you don't want to take late, which I could see them saying we want to kind of stay good. I know, I know. I see you rolling your eyes about that, but I see which shooting. I mean, just try to just try to find, even if it's like not every player, just, they just need like some shooters so they can space around some of their better players because that that is like, it just deteriorated, frankly, from the team three years ago. Super successful because they shot so well from three. They had yeah. an amazing bench unit of three point shooters, and that carried them to like a, a really a, a superb, frankly, 2019 20 season outside of that stupid playoff run. Yeah, Justin's three pointer deteriorating. It, it screwed them. They have no reliable, sh- none. Oh, McDermott, no reliable getting rid of McDermott. Miles really- has hit three threes in the year 2022. <laughs> I think McDermott, I mean, I think they. They should have probably figured out how to keep him and move something else. I and mean, that was their issue. And they didn't really, they kind of went McConnell a little bit. And like, they, like, I don't know. It seems like they could have, you could have found a piecemeal for that point guard spot and maybe try to use that money, some other money to piece together to make it work. But they didn't, they didn't try that. Yeah. 
Yeah, we, uh, I think we said that. I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure it was like, you know, they need a point guard more, so they'll probably keep McConnell, but McDermott's like better, right? Well, and I think we underestimate, and we've seen it, how easy it is to get a point guard. Like, they're like you can find, like, there's so many good guards in the league. Not as easy, but like, you can find, there's so many guards you can bring in and find that eventually you'll be able to find a kind of an okay backup point guard, right? I don't think for Sykes is okay right now. Exactly. Well, that's what I mean. We kind of. That's what I mean. You, you can see that if you just keep bringing in guys, you'll hit on one eventually because there's just yeah. so many of them and, and it's such a deep position in the league versus like overpaying for a backup point guard who I think when he's healthy is pretty good, but just shooting is just like 10x more value than that would be. It, you know, I it, it obviously looks bad now because they're terrible that they spent $9 million on a reserve, but like they went 500 in the month of November and clearly figured out some stuff. And then McConnell got hurt December 1st, and they have been trash since then. And, like, obviously the correlation is not all the causation. Yeah, I don't know about all that. So much has gone on. The COVID outbreak has screwed them in, like, their only kind of cushy schedule part. Like, I get it. But I don't think it's a a complete lack of correlation that McConnell went down and they've just – they've won, like, six games since then, five games. That's that's probably fair. I just just think the shooting is just, like – Yes, the it's lack just of painful to watch. I guess just how bad it shouldn't be killer, but they insist on occasionally using him with another guard, and then he can't do anything. He's just standing yeah. in the corner, so that's yeah. not as good. To tie up with Levert, though, I think you know the one-year anniversary of this trade still con- potentially incomplete to fully grade it. And I think they did a good job in the situation they were in last year to hop in on that Harden stuff, and you know, obviously, Karras has missed a bunch of games and stuff like that that have that have hindered the. the the possibility of him being as good as he possibly could, but I still think that they made the right choice and they can, t- they have a chance to continue to make it a better choice. Yeah. And if you think about it, cause you can go back, right? So the, this whole trade starts with the PG trade, right? And they probably got the most out of a superstar trade. What in the last five, 10 years, right? I'm trying to think of a super trade that actually worked out better for a team. They did very actual well. assets, right? If any of the first, like the the Boston one is what I think of, and that was not that was the, the Boston Nets one from like ten years ago. But that was like a really just stupid Nets trade. It was even like a superstar trade. Like they got two legitimate players that were good for a period of time for the Pacers that were like all star level players. Frankly, two all star years at a depot plus the two carry seasons plus two seconds plus two all star seasons yeah. at Sabonis and and TBD on the, the rest of his seasons. Like two exactly. before that, so like, more coming. So yeah, they they did they, very they, well. Yeah, they did well on that trade, and so if you view it in that context, they've they basically turned let's all call it a dollar into eighty cents, versus when most teams get twenty cents on their superstar dollar, and yep. then they turned the the other forty cents into thirty cents because because and, and he's now worth like four cents. So it's it, it's they're winning these trades individually. <laughs> the problem is they're just being in spots where like they have sort of not built this great roster from the, going back to like twenty fifteen that then screwed them for the last you know so on because they had to redo do all this new stuff to make it work. Uh, obviously, Vic could be very good. Is he worth four cents right now? I mean, he's playing the year. Oh, I don't know. I was just, I was just okay. Maybe he's worth two. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. He's he's like a, he's probably you have to pay someone to take him. Like he's he's, he's on the minimum. It's not like a big deal. But yeah, yeah. I mean, whew, that that's a low value. But I mean, I have yeah. no other straight thoughts on this unless you do because I know you came no. prepped with the notes. No, I just I, I think right. You said in a vacuum, the trade worked. It's just the team is just not that good, and it's not all Karras' fault. But it's, he's a piece of it at least. They have a lot of good gambles on their team, and they don't necessarily fit that well together. And that's got to be the focus is who fits together and who can play the way Carlisle wants to play, which clearly needs more shooting than they have on the team right now. Any other wing defender wouldn't hurt as well. 
I got nothing else today. You can follow this show at Lockdown Pacers and me at T East NBA. He is on Twitter at Man 5 Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will see you tomorrow to talk Clippers.